Pastor. Praise God. Well, I am so delighted to be here. I'm not preaching a sermon tonight. I think this is Sermon 145 through the Gospel of John. And I'm so thankful again for this passage that we've come to through this whole section. And I'll explain again more of it in a section of why. Again, I'm so excited to preach it. You know, I'm so excited to go through these chapters. In fact, the next number of chapters, I think if you happen to be a preacher and you've preached for any amount of time, when you come to chapter 13 and following, these these are the chapters in John. The other ones, again, happen to be exciting, but the ones that come after this, this you really want to preach. And I'll explain a little more of that as we go on. But probably the age-old question that happens to begin out there and it's asked of every generation, I think it's a real good question to ask, is basically this, who is Jesus? You know, if you had to give an answer to that question, who is Jesus, what answer would you give? Because we realize if you answer that, that question wrongly, it has ter- eternal ramifications, doesn't it? You know, eternal destruction, again, upon your soul. But if you answer it rightly, there is eternal rewards. You know, an amazing thing to happen to be, again, about that question is it's easy enough for a child to understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But really, when you look at it, the wisest men that have ever lived in Christendom could not plumb the depths of what we mean by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the personhood of the Lord Jesus. And, and it is amazing because that's actually, if you had to pick one goal for your Christian life, I think that's the goal, again, of all Christianity, of every single one of us is to know Jesus Christ. In fact, it was Paul's goal. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You know, his great goal was to know Jesus Christ. And knowing Jesus Christ here is just not knowing knowledge about him, not just gaining information, but to know him. To know him, again, intellectually, but to know him personally, to know him relationally, to walk with him, to have that security, again, that, and that peace and that joy. And I think a lot of times we settle for so little when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, so little joy. And when you think of all the joy, when you think of all the security, when you think of all the peace that's contained in knowing Christ and knowing him more fully, again, it's inestimable, isn't it? In fact, the old 17th century uh, sage Samuel Rutherford, the old pa- uh, pastor, wrote this. He, put, he says, put the beauty of 10,000 worlds of paradises. Like the Garden of Eden in one, put all the trees, all flowers, all smells, all colors, all tastes, all joys, all sweetness, all loveliness in one. Oh, what a fair and excellent thing that would be. And yet, it would be less to to, to that fair and dearest, well-beloved Christ than one drop of rain to the whole of seas and rivers and lakes and fountains of 10,000 earths. And have you you ever thought, thought about that? You know, the joys that we have in knowing Christ and growing in that knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is greater than if you took all the joys that happen to be again in 10,000 worlds, all the joys that happen to be in our life, and you put it in one. It is incomparable compared to the joy that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's easy to say that, but I think for most believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they have a sneaky suspicion that Jesus doesn't like them. You know, I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, they recognize that they've trusted him, they believed on him, and Jesus will accept them into their kingdom. But I think, again, a lot of times, because we've messed up 
one or two or, or, or maybe, maybe thousands of different times that happen to begin in our life that Jesus Christ just does not want anything to do with us. You know, he will somehow stand us, but he certainly does not want us to be in his presence. And I get it. You know, because as we look at our world that happens to be around us, that's what, that's what we see. That's the way our world around us function. You take all the beautiful people that happen to be again in the world, and who do they want to be around? They want to be around other beautiful people. In fact, they'll look at ugly people. They'll look at homely people many times as below them. You know, you take, it, you take a look at the rich and powerful that happen to be in our world and who they want to be around. They want to be around rich and powerful people. They'll look at, again, those who are powerless, those who are not rich, as below them. Well, think of who Jesus is. Because there's no one who has been more holy. There's no one that has been all holy. There's no one that's been more righteous than the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and you look at our lives, and we are so far below Jesus, you would think that he would want to be associated with people that are at least a little better than us. You know, not in this category of sinners, but that's not what we find in the Gospels. What we find in the Gospels is Jesus wants to draw close to the brokenhearted. He wants to draw close again to sinners. In fact, even his enemies called him a friend of sinners. And he comes close to drunkards. He comes close to harlots. He comes close to tax collectors. He comes close to these people who happen to be in this category called sinners, people like you and me. You know, and we realize that we're not worthy. And that's the epitome, again, when we look at forgiveness. um, uh, Christianity is more than just forgiveness, isn't it? But, but we realize as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, we start seeing the meaning of love, the extent of his grace and mercy. You know, so, so when you look at Christianity and the living out of our lives, it's not just knowing that we have forgiveness of sins, but it's walking before Christ, walking with Christ, knowing Christ and loving Christ. Now, I say all of that to ask this question. You know, it is your greatest desire that happens to be in life is to know Christ, to know him more deeply, to know him more intimately. It's a great goal if you had to look at all of your life and how you spend your time. You know, is it really to know Jesus Christ? Because again, if it is, this is, this is where I'm coming all the way back to where, where, I, where I began. These chapters that we're going to go through are absolutely integral in knowing Christ. They really are. When you look at the first half of the uh, uh, Gospel of John, it's many times called the Book of Signs. When you look at the last half, it's called the Book of Passion. It's all about the passion of Jesus. You know, in chapters 13 all the way to chapter number 17, the information here, here are the last hours of Jesus Christ before he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, before again his passion comes, and he throws his heart into his disciples. And it's amazing to look at the information that happens to be again in these chapters because the information here is exclusively in the Gospel of John. You don't find it anywhere else. The vast majority of that happens to be again right here. And we're going to be looking at verse number one tonight. And verse number one basically says this. Now, before the Feast of Passover, right? When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. And it's amazing, isn't it? Because we're starting the second half of the gospel. And this is right on the eve. This is right before they celebrate the Passover meal. I mean, think of all the information that happens to be again right here. And think of all the things that happen to be here. Tim read about washing the disciples' feet. 
You know, as we get to the end of this chapter, in, in chapter number 13, uh, in beginning in uh, chapter number 14, you know, here, here Satan has entered Judas, uh, Judas, and he's left to betray the Lord Jesus, and he has his intimate conversation. It's many times called the farewell discourse of Jesus Christ. And, it's the, and many expositors actually absolutely believe this, and I think they're absolutely right. It is the greatest discourse that has ever been given. It's absolutely amazing when you look at the robust riches of the promises that are given to the disciples. You know, and what comes after that in John chapter 17 is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And let me just say, the reason why we are here tonight is because of the Father answering the prayer of Jesus on our behalf. And it's a wondrous prayer to go through. You know, and you look at this again, and this is on the eve of the Passover. You know, and I love that verse because it says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew, think about that, Jesus knew that the hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So think of it. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Satan had entered Judas. He knew that one of his intimates, one of his greatest friends, one of his closest friends, one of his most beloved friends would betray him and all the other disciples would forsake him. He knew that very very night he would be taken and he would be beaten and spit upon. His beard would be plucked up. Plucked out, and early in the morning he would take that long march to Golgotha, where they would hang him on the cross, and he would suffer alone, you know, for the sins of mankind. And he knew all of that. And the reason why I bring that up is I think one of the greatest mercies that God can give us is this: not knowing the future. Have you ever thought about that? You know, people are just, oh, I wish I knew what was going to happen this year. I wish I knew what was going to happen in my life. You know, and we wish for those things many times. And one of the greatest graces that God has given us is he's left a curtain. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And think about it. You know, we realize that this is a fallen world. And because this is a fallen world, the fall, the agony, the suffering of living in this fallen world will reach us. And think of it. You know, if all of a sudden you realize, maybe this year, maybe next year, that one that you love so much that happened to begin in this life would somehow contract a disease, or you would contract a disease, maybe cancer. Maybe you'd have to go through chemotherapy with all of the pain, with all of the throwing up, with everything that comes along with it. And you know it's coming, you know it's coming, and you know it's coming. Think of how anxious you'd become. You know, we would become so anxious if we knew what would come into our lives. We wouldn't be able to function. We wouldn't be able to carry out our responsibilities. We wouldn't be able to enjoy the many blessings that God gave in each one of our lives. And why do I bring that up? I bring that up because of this. Because many times we think it would be really neat to know our near future. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is a blessing from God. But here's the difference. Jesus knew Jesus knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what would come. In fact, even when he's going up to Jerusalem, he's going like a man on a mission knowing what is going to take place in specific detail. 
In fact, we're told over in the Gospel of Mark three times as he's going up specifically what is going to happen to him. And you see this in Mark 10. Uh, Jesus says this. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise he will rise again. And, we, and Jesus knew that this would happen. He knew the suffering. He knew the agony. He knew all of this. Now, why do I bring that, all that up? And certainly we could say, well, Jesus is courageous. Jesus, again, is appointed to do the will of God. The reason why I point it up is because of chapters 13 to 17. You know, when we are going through agony in our life, we want to point to ourselves. Look at me. Don't you know what I'm going through? What Jesus does is love his own and love them to the very end. In fact, you have that right here in this verse, in verse number one. It says, having loved his own who were in the world. What did he do? He loved them to the end. And if you ever want to know the heart of Jesus, if you never ever say, you know, I want a greater knowledge, I want a greater intimacy, I want a greater assurance, I want a greater security, I want a greater and real relationship with Jesus as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's right in these chapters. You start to understand his heart. He's not worried about what he is going through. He's worried about these men who would fail. And he knows it. He knows these men who would fail him and fail him miserably that very night. And you see, again, these breathtaking truths that happen to be again right here. It is an amazing, it is a stunning love. And when we start to see the depth and grandeur of that love, how could we not want to know this Savior deep, deeper? So it's my whole goal in the rest of this year, probably into next year, you know, as we look at these chapters, to really grow in our understanding of Christ, really grow in our love and our apprehension of how deep and wide that love is in him, so much so that we might walk and we might again have this joy and security that happened to be in him. And I want us to know this love, and I want us to know this love by looking at it in two ways. I want us to see it looking back, and looking forward. And you can see that both here in verse number one. Let me just read verse number one again. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to his father, and here's the key, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And you know what makes these, these chapters so precious? Is so often, again, we say things like every promise in the book is mine. You know, and we realize that every promise is not given to every single individual. We realize that, right? You know, and the amazing thing about so many of the promises that happen to be in these chapters is that they're given to us. They're not given to the world at large. You know, we realize as we look at the world that happens to be again at large, God loves the world. He loves creation. And how can he not? Because it sings out his glory. But let me say, for those whom he has chosen... For those whom he has selected, you know, as recipients of his grace, he, lo- he loves them with a specific love. And, and it's an amazing love because he loves us, here it is, in spite of ourselves, with all of our warts, with all of our wrinkles. And let me tell you, if you ever want to see the depth, the breadth, the glory of God's love for imperfect sinners who mess up so often, all you have to do is look at God's love for his disciples. In fact, J.C. Ryle writes about this. He says, knowing perfectly well 
that they were about to forsake him shamefully in, in a very few hours, in full view of their, their approaching display of weakness and infirmity, our blessed master did not cease to have loving thoughts of his disciples. He was not weary of them. He loved them to the last. I mean, that's the amazing thing about it, isn't it? That this love, again, of God is incessant. This love of Jesus Christ never ends. In fact, he goes and he applies it to the disciples, but he also applies it to us when, when uh, Ryle uh, continues. He says that he should bear with all their countless infirmities from grace to glory, that he should never be tired of their endless inconsistencies and petty provocations, that he should go on forgiving and forgetting incessantly and never be provoked to cast them off and give up on, uh, give them up all this is marvelous indeed and then he says this no mother watching over the waywardness of her feeble babe in the days of its infancy has her patience so thoroughly tried as the patience of Christ is tried by Christians yet his patience is infinite his compassions are a well that is never exhausted his love is a love that passes knowledge. And I love that idea, again, a passing passes knowledge, because if it passes knowledge, if it's beyond me to fully comprehend, then that means throughout all of eternity, I will be growing and understanding God's love, Christ's love for me. And you can see it so well in these chapters. I mean, think of it. We're just talking about a few hours before Jesus Christ is going to be betrayed. Uh, Richard Phillips, in his excellent commentary on the Gospel of John, brings this out. He says, what is closest to one's heart is usually made apparent in the hour of death. Isn't that true? Some are preoccupied with their business affairs, so there is a rush to get affairs settled before dying. Some reveal their love for family and others for the fleeting pleasures of life. Likewise, Jesus revealed what is closest to his heart as his cross came near. It was his love for his own that dominated his thoughts and feelings. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Does this not prove that there is no greater blessing than to be called one of Christ's own? While Christ has chosen his own, it is equally true that anyone who takes him for Lord and Savior is one of those chosen. And if you will yield your faith to Jesus, then you may know the incomparable blessing of being loved as one of his own. Isn't it true? I mean, it's amazing that we see the heart of the Savior here. And notice again, you know, how far this love stretches. Because it stretches again, not only in the future, but also in the past. And you can see it again in this statement, because it says, having loved his own into the world. And when you look at love there, it's past tense, right? It's speaking that it has a history, right? It has something back here. The question we have to ask ourselves is, when it says, having loved his own who were in the world... How far does that love stretch back? How far does it stretch back? Well, think about it. How does the Gospel of John start? It starts what? In the beginning, what? Here it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in the beginning, we have the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was none other than God. But it also tells us that the, word, the, the world is, is, is the creator who made everything. And think of it, because when he's making everything, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is going to be a fall. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt there is going to be a cross. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is going to be a you with all of your foibles, all of your disappointments, that one day he will provide the grace to save you. And you will trust him. And he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, even after that, you're going to mess up. You're going to sin. And he still decides love you. I mean, it stretches that far back, doesn't it? You know, we even have in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse number 4, he says, even as he chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Listen to what he says, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, right? This is his will to love us. To predestine us, you know, to this great love that happened to be there. And think of it, because we're not just speaking of a hypothetical love that happens to be in eternity past where he loved us, but it's a love that's executed in time. I mean, think of it, because we know these truths, but so often we don't try to stretch our minds around these truths. My God, my Savior in love came to me at a specific time, shone his word deep down in my black heart so that I would believe Jesus. And think of it. You know, why are we here tonight? We are here tonight because of one reason, and that is the preserving power of our great God. Preserving love of Jesus Christ. Think about it. How many sermons have you listened to in a lifetime? How many Christian books, pieces of scripture have you read? How, how many conversations have you entered in with other believers and it has saturated your soul through all of the trials, through all of the difficulties, through all of the suffering that happened to be in your life, so much so that you are here right now worshiping him. What is that? What is that proof of? That's proof of what? Jesus Christ's prior love of us. He loved us and loved us and graced us and graced us and graced us and graced us us that it should ought to give us so much confidence not only to recognize there's more love to come but to recognize or to realize that we ought to know this Christ. We ought to revel in this one. So we recognize when we look at that love, it stretches back. But when we look at that love that stretches back, we also recognize that it stretches forward, that it continues on. And notice again, as we look at verse number one, look at how it ends right here, because it says he loved them. Here it is. He loved them to the end. Now, if I was to ask Richard Byrne, and I'm not going to ask him what that word end is in the Greek, he may be able to tell you or not. I don't know. Uh, but the word that happened to begin end in the Greek is estelos. And when you look at the word telos, when I say the word telos, he would be able to give a, give a fuller explanation, probably a whole sermon on it. And te- telos means purpose, or bring something to completion, bring something to an end. 
And so when it says he loved them, he loved them to the intended end, to the intended purpose, to the completion of what they happen to be. So the question we have to ask ourselves when you're using this rich, this robust of a theological term, what does he mean by completion? What does he mean by bringing it to its intended completion, its intended end? And it it could be a number of things. I think it's really rolled up in all of these things, but it has to mean at the very least that it's talking about Jesus' own death on the cross. He loved them to the end. You know, he went through beyond a shadow of a doubt. He knew the horrors of being made sin or taking that sin upon himself for sinful humanity, hanging on that cross to bear that punishment for each one of us. You know, that we might be justified, that we might have that standing that happens to be perfect in God's sight. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. And it was in love that he hung there for you and for me. And do we realize that? You know, it's incredible when you look at, I think, North Americans, in this time in human history, we have the most comfortable life that has ever been on planet Earth. Isn't it true? And I think the most, more comfortable our lives become, the more we complain. Oh, we have it tough. You know, so much so that I've talked to believers, a number of believers, and they've expressed this as far as their attitude toward God. I am so frustrated and angry at God. You know, he says he loves me, but look at my life. You know the greatest demonstration of God's love for us? And you know, the one that takes the book and closes the book and says, the case is closed, is the cross. God came in human flesh to live the life that I could never live, to die that death that I could, that pen, and take that penalty that I could never pay for. I mean, what extreme love happens to me? So I think when we look at this, he brought them to the end. He loved them to the complete. We have to at least say that it means that. But I think it means more than that. Because I think it means not only the end of Jesus' life, in other words, his death on the cross. But I think, again, as we look at this text of Scripture, it also means the end of the disciples' lives. Isn't it true? You look, at, you look at the disciples and, you know, they're still here and they're still thinking that they have all the strength, all of this know-how. But Jesus knows beyond a shadow of a doubt there is many dark days that happen to be again ahead. He knows, again, that they're going to be sent into this world as his emissaries in this Christ-hating world. He knows that they're going to go through suffering. He knows that they're going to go through pitfalls. He knows, again, that every single one of the apostles will suffer martyrdom, right? For the cause of Christ. What's what's going to be the crime? Preaching Christ and testifying about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knows that. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus Christ will be with them to the end. Don't you love that? Do you, do you remember how the gospel of, uh, of Matthew ends off? ends off with something we call the Great Commission. And at the end of the Great Commission, it says this, and behold, I'm with you always. Right? Who's saying that? Jesus. To the end of the age. And isn't it amazing? You know, I look at back at my life. You know, we were talking about uh, this a little, little bit this afternoon. And my life has been written by somebody else. And the reason why I can see it is I can see grace, 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 grace. 
pitfall, 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 suffering, 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 and through it all, the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God. And how, and how are we able to go through that? Because I am with you always, even to the end of this age. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? And I think this love of the Lord Jesus Christ even stretches even further. You know the Hebrew idiom for forever? <laughs> now, now, now that's a loaded question because, because you, you would know it. But the Hebrew idiom for forever is the end. And think of it. If you said, I love someone to the end, this is what you're saying. I will love you. Here it is. Forever. And think about it. I love that. Don't you? Because one day the world will be all over. All the kingdoms of this world, all the difficulties, all the problems, all the curse will be lifted and will be gone. All the judgments will be done. And guess what? Jesus Christ, in his forever love, will still be loving us. I mean, we often say that, but I don't think we really think about it. What can separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is what? Nothing. Right? Think about it. I mean, we read this text, right? Who shall separate us? This is in Romans chapter 8, but who shall separate us from the love of Christ, right? Who shall separate us from the love? And the of Christ is Christ's love for us. It's not talking about our love for Jesus. It's talking about his love for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he asks this question, shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's the way we're looked at in the world. And he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And listen to what he says next. For I am sure, and then he gets all these things that could divide us. I am sure that neither, and here's the first one. What's the first one? Guess what doesn't separate us from Jesus? You know, if all of a sudden I had a massive coronary attack right now and I went to be with the Lord, I'd be separated from you. But guess who I wouldn't be separated from? Guess who? The Lord. Don't you love that? He says, here it is. Here it is. Let me find my place here. For I'm sure, uh, sure that neither death nor life, here's the powers, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, and listen to what he says next, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know about you, but I think that's a love worth knowing, worth growing in. Don't you? And I love J.C. Ryle. He's an old Anglican minister, and he seems to say statements a lot better than I could ever say. So I'm going to end with his statement tonight and listen to what he says about this passage as he gleans from this passage. He says, let know. Man, be afraid of beginning with Christ. If he desires to be saved, the chief of sinners may come to him with boldness and trust him for pardon and confidence. 
This loving Savior is one who delights, think about that, delights to receive who? Sinners. No, let no man be afraid of going on with Christ after he has once come to him and believed. Let him not fancy that Christ will cast him off because of failures and dismiss him into, into, into his former hopelessness on account of infirmities. Such thoughts are entirely unwarranted by anything in the scriptures. Jesus will never reject any servant because of his feeble service and weak performance. Those whom he receives, he always keeps. Those whom he loves, at first he loves at last. His promise shall never be broken. And it is for saints as well as sinners. Here's the invitation. Him that comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Now, I don't know about you, but just reading this first verse gives me a taste for the next chapters to come. You know, I want to know this Christ. I want a deeper knowing of this love of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't you? Well, we'll begin investigating it next time we look at the gospel again of John. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your amazing goodness to each one of us. And God, as we think of the incomprehensible doctrine, Lord, the truth of Jesus Christ's love for his own. And Lord, we realize our minds cannot fathom the depth, the breadth, the length. Lord, the substantiveness, again, of this great love. But Lord, we can grow in it. We can grow in our understanding. We can grow in seeing new um, uh, cuts, Lord, new uh, vibrancy in this jewel called the love of Christ. I just pray, Lord, as we go through, beginning here at chapter number 13, all the way through chapter number 17, and then look at the travail of Jesus Christ, the passion of Jesus Christ, that our love would so deepen, Lord, that it would create a joy. It would create, again, a security, a peace in the deepest recesses of our hearts because of who Jesus truly is. We thank you so much. We just ask that you would be with us. Help us to meditate upon these truths and find great solace, great comfort, and great assurance in that nothing, nothing in all of eternity, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate me from your love. Christ Jesus, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Brother.